Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. It has been a week full of decisions for Notre Dame football. Four transfers have decided to join Notre Dame for next season. Clemson wide receiver Bo Collins, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, Duke defensive end R.J. Oban, and South Carolina kicker Mitch Jeter. Three more Notre Dame starters have opted out of the Sun Bowl to prepare for the NFL. That's quarterback Sam Hartman, left tackle Joe Alt, and cornerback Cam Hart. Joining previous announcements by linebacker Maris Leofile and right tackle Blake Fisher. And a couple of important Notre Dame defenders have announced that they'll be back next season. Nose tackle Howard Cross III and linebacker Jack Kaiser. A lot of the transfer portal news has come from Duke and a little more is coming out of Wake Forest. And we just so happen to know someone who covers both of those programs. Connor O'Neill, publisher of Devils Illustrated and Deacons Illustrated for Rivals, has returned to the podcast to drop some knowledge on us. Connor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I was actually wasn't up to speed on the both of the tackles opting out of the bowl. So <laughs> Sam Hartman's decision seems a little easier uh, with that knowledge in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you got enough time to update your bowl pool if you if you're doing one of those that, <laughs> that Notre Dame's offense is going to look Man, vastly I- different. I have one, and I get a kick out of going in there and just scrambling all of the um, the confidence, confidence picks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love, and then I love going in there and seeing like, wow, you're an idiot, <laughs> or wow, I would not have had this at confidence like 38 if you knew that they were without their three of their four receivers for this yeah. game. Yeah, that's always fun to me. Well, Connor, here here's a quick story for you on confidence picks. There was one year. Oh, maybe five years ago, I was in the top five for ESPN out of hundreds of thousands or millions or whatever. And what happened was I did the confidence backwards. That's why I was <laughs> leading. Otherwise, I wouldn't have even been close. Yeah, so you had all those uh, Sunbelt Mac games at 42 and 41. <laughs> exactly, and I, I nailed them. And so it was like, <laughs> I w- it would have been the flukiest victory ever so <laughs> all right Connor let's let's talk first about Riley Leonard that's obviously the biggest news of the week for Notre Dame what do you think about his potential fit with the Irish I I don't want this to come off as sour grapes um I don't think it's a very good fit unless Notre Dame alters what it does offensively um Riley, it it always made sense to me with Sam Hartman going to Notre Dame because Sam was a pocket passer at heart. Um, He ran somewhat in in the RPO in that slow mesh style, but he always wanted to be a passer. Um, That was his whole upbringing. He was coached by Chad Greer, Will Greer's dad. Um, Everything about him said pocket passer, reluctant runner. That's not Riley. Um, that Riley is is every bit of a dual threat at dual threat quarterback. Um, he is an athlete first and foremost. Like he spent most of his high school career thinking he was going to be a high school uh, college basketball player, and then it's kind of the David Cutcliffe quarterback development program that brought him to Duke. And David Cutcliffe's Alabama roots is what turned him on to Riley Leonard as the type of athlete that he was. So I think it can work. I just, I need to see a lot more design quarterback runs out of Notre Dame. And maybe they had that this year and I missed it. Um, going no, through, you didn't. Yeah, okay. Um, they, they, they've say. had it. I mean, to be fair, they had it 
under Reese when like Ian Book was the quarterback. Gotcha. Gotcha. But so, not when Tommy Reese was the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I just I, I'm so curious how Notre Dame will use Riley. Um if they fit their offense around what he does well, I think it can be a great fit. I think it can be everything that you want a, you know, I'm not going to call him a rental quarterback because he's got years of eligibility left. Uh, I I think um, I actually have to double I think check. He just has the one. Just the one. Yeah, he's in the first the class that doesn't have the COVID year. Yeah, he's. I think he played seven games as a freshman. I didn't realize he played that much as a freshman. That's <laughs> uh, that's actually kind of surprising to me. That was a terrible Notre uh, Duke team. They should have been saving his year, but I guess. We're going to have to call him Notre Duke. <laughs> um, if they want, like Jalen Simpson's good safety. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> some guys in the portal from Duke that are decent players. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I just, like I said, I'm I'm very curious how Notre Dame uses him. Uh, I, I thought that his arm talent left a little bit, to, a little to be desired. Uh, the, the draft projections and, you know, the, as, as high as the third draft eligible quarterback on everybody's board going in the, in the summer hype machine, that always felt like it was predicated on him taking a step forward as a thrower. Uh, I think PFF had him like four of 20 this year on throws of at least 20, 20 plus yards down the field. Um, It just, he's got to take a step forward in that. I'm not saying he can't do it. I just, I, I think it's, something that has to happen for him to be a good fit at Notre Dame. Okay. So Connor, since you cover both of these guys, let's take Jared Parker out of it as offensive coordinator. You can have any offensive coordinator you want. And you were, and you were going to pick one of these guys to lead your team. Would you pick Sam Hartman over Riley Leonard or vice versa? Uh, Man, that's tough. Yeah, because uh, it's a, they're so different. I saw Sam win so many games. Um, I I think so highly of Sam's leadership ability. Um, I might be talking myself into Sam right now. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, you know, Riley has the only win of of the two of them against Clemson. Uh, he went one and zero, and Sam was zero and five. Um, a lot of that had to do with who Sam had around him for four of those five. Um, ooh, I guess. Can you? I, I know the offensive coordinator is static, but can you give me like who's who's supporting cast they have? Whether it's Riley with his Duke team or Notre Dame, or Sam with I'll his say, Wake team or um, Notre Dame. Yeah. Better what, if just, what, what if we just assume they were the talent was the same no matter who it was? Yeah, the talent was the same. We'll we'll say um maybe the 2020 Notre Dame team talent with their running backs, their now offense. Now are you challenging to remember who was on the 2020 team? Well, I mean it was a playoff team. Yeah, I got you. So playoff type talent. Yep. Um Honestly, I think I'd go with Riley. Uh, 
God, that's I don't even have kids, and that feels like it's the closest thing I'll get to picking my favorite kid. And I'm not going to be, you know, I don't think I'll be when that time comes. I'll I, I hope that I'm not Deion Sanders. So I guess this is this is about the extent of it for me. Um, okay. I don't know. I I I think that the ceiling is a little higher with Riley. Um, that's kind of where I land. I, I told somebody that earlier this week. Um, Every every sentence that starts with if is so meaningless. But if he takes that step forward as a passer, mm-hmm. then I think the running abil- the running edge over Sam um is, is is what kind of points me in that direction. Connor, it's been interesting from my perspective covering Notre Dame and, and watching fans react to Notre Dame bringing in Riley Leonard. And I think some of it is informed by the experience of Sam Hartman coming in as a transfer quarterback and maybe not meeting the expectations that some had for him. And then I think a lot of his people look at his 2020, his being Riley Leonard's 2023 stat line and be like, really, that's who this is who we're bringing in. Can you offer some perspective on how different of a quarterback Riley Leonard was in 2022 versus 2023? And, and what, what is the, the more likely version of, of Riley Leonard at, in his in its next phase, obviously dependent on the offense around him, but what is he what is he as a quarterback moving forward? Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of unfair to judge him on twenty twenty three, not only because of the injury situation. Um, he had a sprained ankle thanks to Howard Cross, who I guess is going to be a teammate next year. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they'll have a good laugh about that one. Uh, and he worked through that, and then he got a turf toe injury at Louisville, and that's kind of flown kind of under the radar because everybody just assumed he was still dealing with the ankle and is a completely separate energy injury on a different foot. And that's why he missed the last month of the year and needed surgery. So you're talking about a guy that had two brutal um, foot injuries on both feet. And the other side of it is Duke was a power run team. Like everything about Duke offense this year was they needed to get up two scores in the second half and just control the clock and and bleed time off of it and and just pound the run. And like if you if you can run the ball well for seven, eight yards a clip and you're up ten points, like there's no need to open up the open up the playbook, let your quarterback try to try to chuck it around. Like that was a that was a big thing that I learned from from covering Mike Elko for two years is just why put yourself in a situation where you're going to make more mistakes. Like there's so much more that can go wrong on a drop back pass or even a option where there's very little that can go wrong. If you're running backs are secure with the ball and have good principal ball carrying skills and you just give them the ball and the offensive line makes things happen in front of you. So yeah, I, I think, um, I think it'll be a, a lot closer of the version to 2022. Um, the other the other factor to think of is uh, Duke's receivers were not that good this year. Uh, they were kind of disappointing. They started to make plays later in the year, but that was when Riley was already out. Uh, and, and when Riley was dealing with the ankle injury, it's not like he was the best version of himself for them. Um, but it was, it was a disappointing group uh, from that wide receiver group. So, you put better skill around him at receiver. Um, I, I think 
kind of highly on Bo Collins. Uh, to me, he's he's a little bit of the same as what they've had. Big guy that can catch 50-50 balls but isn't going to separate from anybody. Um, curious how that works out. But, but I do think this will be an upgrade in the receiver room for Riley. Speaking of um, upgrades in the receiver room, the Wake Forest wide receiver banks that is in the portal. I think Notre Dame has some interest in him. How would you describe his game? And do you think he would upgrade Notre Dame from what you had seen of their receivers? He'd definitely be a bit of an upgrade. Um, you know, I'm a little jaded because I saw the game at Duke when they didn't have Jaden Thomas. Uh, I think that was, was that his first game that he missed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Chris Tyree was dealing with a hamstring in that game too, or or one of the other top guys was dealing. They with had something. three healthy receivers. In that <laughs> yeah, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. all played um, a lot. <laughs> I'm pretty jaded on on Notre Dame's receivers based on that game and based on the little snippets I saw of them after September. Um, Jamal though is number one as a as a human being. He's awesome. Like he is a worldly guy he, he is full of energy and life uh, I could not think higher of him as a person uh, just getting to interview him and know him over the years I think he's leaving Wake with a degree um, I believe part of his backstory I don't I don't want to speak out of turn here I, I, I think part of his backstory is that he was homeless at some point in his in his younger years um, I believe he also speaks multiple languages um, he's just He's a fascinating dude. Uh, I think any program would be kind of lucky to have him just from a, a locker room chemistry standpoint. He's also a 6'4", 200-plus-pound receiver that can run down the field and catch 50-50 balls. Um, they they called him Jump Ball Mall, uh, became his nickname here. He's really good at locating the ball in air and, and going up and making plays. Did that a lot better. It's, it's a little bit like Riley Leonard. He did a lot better uh, in 2022 than he did this past season. And that's partially because of Wake's quarterback play and, right. and not any fault of his. Um, so I I think that would be an upgrade. I think, you know, he's not going to run by anybody. Uh, if, if that's what Notre Dame is looking for, then they're probably looking in the wrong place. But if they need another guy that is going to be out there on the outside and you can throw fades to, you can throw back shoulders to, he's a physical guy that can go make plays. If you had to pick one or the other, and Notre Dame would want both of them, but would you pick Bo Collins or Banks? I'd probably pick Banks just because I I know him and I'm familiar with him. Like I've okay. I've seen Bo Collins. Um, he big bodied a couple a couple Wake corners over the last couple of years, but he's also. I've never watched a big Clemson game and come away from it thinking he is the best receiver on the field. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's been their slot guys the last couple of years, Tyler Brown and Antonio Williams. I so, didn't even remember him from the Clemson game this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's like that's the thing, right? Like he's if if he doesn't stand out, um, it's tough to see him standing out in a new offense in in that kind of a pressure cooker of a program. All right, so let's flip it over to defense with RJ Oban. Notre Dame's defensive end acquisition from Duke. How good can he be? What what kind of impact did he have on Duke's program? He's a he's a 
decent defensive end. I always got the sense that Duke wanted a little more out of him. And I think he scratched the surface of that in a few games this year. I don't think he did it consistently enough. I think that leads me to kind of believe that in more of a rotation, um, when he's not asked to be on the field so much, um, if Notre Dame can kind of slide him into more of a niche pass rush role, uh, I think he'd be better off suited there. Um, he, I, I don't see him being a guy that you put on the field for 70% of the snaps and and just forget about him and he's going to lock down one edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think he can be successful just uh, kind of the same thing I said about Riley. He can be successful if he's used in the right way. Um, I would imagine not, not knowing the rest of Notre Dame's roster that they've got plenty of other defensive ends that they can slide him into rotation with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, think they're counting on him to be a starter, to be honest with you. Okay. But they, do, they do rotate a they lot. Do, yeah. They rotate a lot. And I think, in a perfect world, he ends up being sort of the Javante Jean-Baptiste replacement who Notre Dame brought in from Ohio State last year um, and was sort of like RJ in that he was more of a pass rush specialist rotation guy um, and then yeah. actually developed into a pretty good run defender this year. So I think I think my understanding is Notre Dame has pitched to RJ that they can help him as a run defender and make him better in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think that they're going to keep him out of there for like 70% of the time or anything, but um I do think they want they want to try to get the most out of him and, and improve him and make him maybe more well-rounded than maybe he was at times at Duke. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, with the with a dad that played in the NFL, Roman Oban was in the NFL for, what, 12 years, 10 yeah. years? I mean, he, had a, mm-hmm. he had a duration of a career. So you know that he comes from a good place. Like, you know he he has some fundamental background and, and that just – needs to become more consistent, a little more explosive. Connor, we really do appreciate your honesty, but you have blown it as being the NIL agent for these Duke and Wake Forest players. I'm glad you're honest. We appreciate it. I want uh, these guys to get paid, but I it, it is not my uh, – fight to to take up for like you're not getting a cut <laughs> yeah uh the the next athlete to tell me that they're going to give me five percent will be the first so there you go so it's not my place so mike elko goes from duke back to texas a&m i'm wondering what you think of that move and how you think he will do in that environment because very different expectations setting from duke so I I look at it this way. Um, Duke is a much better job than it was two years ago, right? You've got 16 and nine the last two years. And I think the, the previous two, the COVID year, and then 2021, David Cutcliffe's last year, I think the combined record was five and 18. Uh, just abysmal through those two years. Complete turnaround. There's still a long way to go for Duke to – in any kind of national conversation uh at least for for playoff purposes and and that's isn't that everybody's goal at this point when it goes to 12 teams um everybody can talk about that so you know duke got a taste of national spotlight this year they beat clemson on labor day night they host game day for the first time when notre dame comes to town they're fourth and 16 away from beating notre dame and being five and oh and 
probably somewhere in the like top 10 range or maybe 12 in the country. And they still wind up going seven and five uh, because of a quarterback injury, because of just kind of the way things shook out. So I think if you're Mike Elko, um, I, I don't know that Mike thinks this way. I think of Mike this way. I think he is smart enough and a good enough coach to win a national championship. So thinking that way, is he closer to winning a national championship at Duke and all of the things that Duke still needs to do to get to that level? I would say they're probably still, I don't know, everything moves so quickly, but I'd say they're still at least five years away if everything breaks perfectly. Right. Maybe more like seven to 10 years away. And that's still, even if a lot of things go right. I mean, how much closer? Having Notre Dame players transfer to Duke for uh although they've had one Jamie yeah jamie franklin. franklin was a good one um yep. that was more because he wasn't playing though right, right like that right. wasn't a it wasn't a contributor um so that's my thing is texas a&m is just in such a better position right now um we can make all the jokes we want about how bad they were with jimbo and that number one recruiting class that's flamed out and had a bunch of portal entries the last couple of years but they're still Texas A&M. They still have got that oil money. They're still in the conference that uh, ESPN is going to bend over backward to help out. So it's if I'm comparing the programs, uh, it doesn't even become about the two and a half to three million dollar raise. It doesn't. It's not about the salary pool greatly uh, blowing up for for what he had to work with at Duke compared to what he has now. It's it's just the fact that you can win a national championship at Texas A&M if you get the right support and the right people and things go the right way uh, in the next five years. And I, I don't know if I can fault the guy for, for seeing things that way. And that, again, like that's from getting to know Mike and covering him for two years, like that's the way that I think he thinks of it. Connor, I, I, and this might be more um... – a commentary or an observation of, of for college football in general. And I don't think this is specific to Duke and Wake Forest, but do you feel like programs like Duke and Wake Forest are in a position with the current transfer portal situation and NIL where programs like that could end up serving more or less as farm systems for some of these bigger programs where they get, get, get take guys that are maybe under the radar, develop them earlier in their career. And then they end up finishing their career elsewhere because um, the chances of winning are maybe h- are higher at those other places. Do you feel like, I mean, I don't, maybe it's related to the ACC. I, I think there's probably teams in every conference that could be described that way. But I think at least from my perspective, I, I wonder if Duke and Wake Forest maybe fit in that, in that way. I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. Everybody's got a Vanderbilt and a Northwestern and right. um, those types of schools. I, I think we're already kind of wading into those waters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, the way to combat it from, from the wake and Duke standpoint is look, you've got, you're both small private schools that produce some smart people that enter the business world and make a lot of money. And you need to convince those people to give you money so that you can retain that talent. Mm -hmm. And that's not happened as much on the Duke side because they're going through a coaching change right now. Right. It has happened on the, on the wake side of that this year, like that, Jamal Banks leaving, Keyshawn Williams leaving, like they've lost some guys 
and I think you're always going to lose some. But they've kept a lot of their core guys that they needed to keep to to be able to bounce back next year. I, the ceiling, I, I don't know what the ceiling is. I mean, I, I don't know if we can have a conversation about Wake or Duke making the CFP in the next five to seven years. I just, I don't, I don't know if that's realistic. Uh, if, if you go back two years and think about the season that Wake had with 11 wins, mm-hmm. uh, they still lose the ACC championship to Pitt. Um, they still have a loss to to Carolina and to Clemson in the regular season. They're not making any 12 team field with, with that season that they had. And, you know, if, if that's as good as it is, then no, you're, if your best isn't even good enough to make the CFP, then that's probably a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. I got two quick ones and I think we're done. I think Tyler's done, but um, my first one is a lot of people, including me have suggested that maybe somebody like David Cutcliffe would be an asset on a staff like in Notre Dame with a young offensive coordinator or an inexperienced offensive coordinator as an analyst or something in that kind of role. If it was actually the David Cutcliffe, what kind of impact do you think he could have on a staff like that? I think it'd be a pretty good one. I, I'm, I'm a pretty big advocate of anybody you can get with head coaching experience on your staff is a net positive. Um, like Duke the last couple of years had Rich Skrosky, who was the former Elon coach. Um, when Dave Clawson went to Wake, he hired uh, Dave Cohen, who had been the Hofstra coach. He hired Kevin Higgins, who had been at the Citadel and had been one of Clawson's coaches when Clawson was coming up as a coordinator. I think anytime you can put a put a head coach on a staff, it's a positive because he he's he's going to be one of the only guys that a head coach can relate to as far as like he knows what it's like. Um. As far as cut specifically, uh, you can't I, – I've made jokes about him being a quarterback whisperer and that kind of hmm. being a off-the-rails um, label. Uh, you know, he he had some success stories. There were also some, like, three or four failures to every one developmental success for cut as a quarterback whisperer. But you can't argue with, like, taking a walk-on quarterback from a little Charlotte private school and turn him into the sixth round, sixth overall pick in the draft and him making a hundred million dollars on a contract. Like that's just something that I, I don't know how many coaches in football can stake that on their resume. Um, so I, I think he would bring a lot of value. I'm, I'm a little curious. Uh, he seems content to, to live in Alabama and help the sec in his, I think he's an advisor to the sec right now. And the other thing that I was going to ask you was about, and, and Notre Dame fans would kill me if we didn't ask you this after Dave Clawson said the Sam Hartman thing, running and so forth. And then, Hank Bachmeyer ends up transferring there. The only Bachmeyer son that doesn't have an animal name ends up at Wake Forest. Tiger and Bear, and I think the little one is Beaver or Woodchuck or some some kind of animal like that. But uh, Hank Bachmeyer <laughs> ends up there. So, what are you? What are your thoughts about Hank ending up at Wake Forest? It's an interesting fit. Um, in, in the weeds of Wake, uh, they've they've kind of had a, a 
it's not an existential crisis, but they've kind of had to wrestle with the fact that they got quarterbacks so wrong this year that they might need a bridge year from a guy. And that bridge year might be provided by Hank Bachmeyer. It might be provided by Michael Kern, who started his first game up in South Bend a few weeks back. Um, or they might just turn the reins over to a freshman, uh, Jeremy Hicklinski, who was in the Georgia 7A state championship game last night. And and I think it was his team's first loss. Um, but Wake is I, – I never thought Wake was going to take a transfer quarterback until about a month and a half ago when it became clear that it wasn't going to click with Mitch Griffiths. It just it, – it was not there. Um, they didn't know if Michael Kern was coming back for his sixth year. He is uh, now. So I, I think there's been a recalibration of how Wake approaches that position. Uh, I don't I don't think they're going to take a quarterback every year. Like, I think if if all things work out, they either get a bridge year out of one of the sixth year guys or they turn it over to a freshman this year and and run with it. Um, but, yeah, there's there's definitely been a, like I said, a recalibration of how they approach that position. Well, if if it ended up becoming Hank Bachmeyer and he made it to senior day, I think there'd probably be a good chunk of Notre Dame fans that would be able to chip in to have a have a DJ request for his senior day. <laughs> Play, I will the, always love you. <laughs> the thing, like, it, I would love Boise State to come for that. Like, that was always <laughs> that was always Flossen's main point. And that was the context of it that that kind of got lost in the aggregation and and the viralness of his quote. There was like. And uh, the other part of it was the previous week uh, going into the Notre Dame game. Dave had told us um, it was hard to watch Notre Dame play because he looks at him and says, that's the Wake Forest quarterback. Right. So it's just, I get it. I, 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 I give Dave no, Dave's a big boy. He doesn't need me to stand up for him. I just, I do think that the contacts there um, got a little lost in translation. Or lost yeah. in aggregation, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand his greater point. I just thought it was a little silly that he like got jealous that Notre Dame loved him. <laughs> like, like Notre Dame's allowed to love Sam Hartman too, right? I mean, and that's but... <laughs> and, and that's where you know, I don't, I don't know that I would say this to Dave's face. I, I guess maybe I should hold off on saying this, but like. <laughs> Dave sometimes thinks he's a little funnier than he is. Um, <laughs> it sounds like maybe, he's got that problem with Brian Kelly. <laughs> yeah, maybe a lot of coaches you could say that about. Yeah. But um, sometimes you get that nervous humor from Dave, and it comes from a really smart place. Like he's a sharp coach. Um, sometimes it just it comes off a little pettier than he means it. Mm-hmm. I think, and and that's where that's where that comes from. Um, I, I I think he's he's fully aware that. Uh, two programs can love a quarterback. Right. Yeah. Well, I bet I bet one thing never happened to Sam Hartman, and it probably didn't happen at Notre Dame either, that some girl threw a marshmallow from the stands 30 yards and it landed in his hot chocolate. That's what he claimed after Wake Forest game. Well, I can guarantee that never happened at Wake because the student section is across the field. <laughs> uh, they, they stick the student section. Well, maybe that'll the be the next quarterback. <laughs> all right really appreciate you coming on with us connor um and i feel bad that you have so much knowledge about all these future notre dame players when we have you on but it's convenient you're the one guy that can compare riley leonard and sam hartman that was great (laughs) 
it's it's not a problem. It's uh it's it's an interesting place to be. That's for sure. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Connor. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of a subscription promo for InsideNDSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will give you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription to InsideNDSports.com. You can find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one we have is from at Jeff Golson. Missing two starting tackles, Audric Estime and Sam Hartman. Should we get ready to give Jared Parker a pass if the offense lays another egg? If it's a real mess, is there a chance Marcus Freeman considers reconsiders sticking with jared parker well i'm guessing that jeff is from canada the way that he spelled offense Offense. with a c yeah um so is there a chance marcus freeman reconsiders sticking with jared parker it's always a a possibility and where i hearken back to is the mike elston situation where mike had declared that he was staying at Notre Dame and then the Oklahoma state disaster where Mike was more or less the acting defensive coordinator while Marcus was the head coach in that game. And then it didn't feel like Mike could still stay at Notre Dame, not saying that Marcus was showing him the door, but Mike made the choice to leave at that point. Uh, but I don't see a pathway, a lot of pathways for that to happen right now, especially based on this particular game. Oregon State is missing pieces, and so is Notre Dame. So what I think you want to see is a good game plan, good in-game adjustments, crisp execution. I don't think you overvalue this bowl game, but you don't undervalue it either. A lot of the players for 2024 are going to be playing. So it's a great opportunity for Jared Parker to start to build some momentum and chemistry with those players. Yeah. I mean, I think from a fan perspective, I think you you need to at least be aware of the possibility that the offense could be a bit of a mess. Um, I don't think that would be like a total shock, right? Uh, there's just so much newness. Now every team, I mean, both teams in this instance are going to be like that, so it could even itself out and make for better opportunities for the offense. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't rule anything out. I mean, <laughs> just from the lesson we saw with Marcus Freeman saying he wanted everyone back and then firing Chancey Stuckey <laughs> 24 hours later, I think that, I think it would be silly to rule it out. Um, he certainly spoke strongly about Jared Parker um, and his confidence in him, but um i think it would be i think it would be unfair to use this game as like the decision point for jared parker right like i think yeah you should know one way or the other already Uh, i think this is definitely a valuable opportunity for jared parker to get some more experience and show what he's capable of but i don't think it 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 should necessarily be like the, the measuring stick of his potential success moving forward right and and i'll what i'll follow up with with the elston situation i think elston 
maybe overplayed his hand a little bit, said, hey, I'm coming back. I love Notre Dame. And I think his hope was that Marcus would consider him to be the new defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And Marcus never said that that was a possibility. He had talked about wanting somebody with head coaching experience and so forth. But when things didn't go well, I think Mike knew that maybe overplayed his hand a little bit about saying I'm staying at Notre Dame. All right, next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Considering transfers and sit-outs, what do you think we can learn about the 2024 team from the Sun Bowl? For me, I wanted to see the new offensive tackles and the young linebackers. Yeah, well, you're going to see um, some new offensive linemen starting uh, at tackle, and you're going to see probably some linebackers, although we don't know about J.D. Bertrand's status, right, Tyler? But Jack Kaiser's going to be playing but we're we're still going to see some of the young linebackers, some key pieces for 2024 all over the field. For me, there's two things that you didn't mention, Charles. One is Steve Angeli when he's the center of somebody's scouting report. Even again with Oregon not being Oregon State not being at full strength, I think that's interesting when people try to get you to play left-handed. The other thing is the wide receivers, um, just how they kind of perform in the bowl game the ones that still are here and then you're going to have like kk um, smith introduced we'll see him for the first time allegedly and then maybe healthy versions of Jaden thomas and Deion colsey we'll get a little bit more information about that this weekend and we'll see a practice or part of a practice next week so i'll have a little bit better feel for that but i'm kind of eager to see how the wide receiver situation shakes out in the ball game. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the two that Charles mentioned here, the offensive tackles and the young linebackers are, are definitely worthwhile. Um, I'd like to see the younger safeties get some action potentially to, to figure out if Notre Dame needs another safety going into next season. Um, it, I mean, we don't necessarily know if Xavier Watts is coming back. DJ Brown certainly won't be back. Um, so do those younger guys, get some more playing time to get them get their feet wet and get a better sense for what those guys are like. Um, the wide receivers, like you mentioned, I want to see the guys that are get, have, have been had time to recover from their hamstring issues. Like this Jaden Thomas and, and Jaden Greathouse. Like what do those guys look like? Um, can they get back on track after um, look like promising seasons? And then it, it didn't end up being that way. Uh, and then lastly, who's, who's ready to be, running back one who who can step up um, without Audrey Estime. We don't know for certain that he is, isn't playing, um, but I think that's what the assumption is right now. Um, he hasn't made an announcement either way, but uh, what does Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love, what do those guys look like as more focal points of the offense without Audrey Estime in the lineup? All right. Our next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank SE bunch of numbers. My question is, do you have, any insight on who is Notre Dame looking at in the portal for an offensive tackle? Um, thank you. You guys do a great job. Um, I I don't have any names right now. Um, I, and I wanted to take this time. Like we had a few different questions of people wanting names from portal guys. Like when we have names, we're going to report them on the inside lounge for first. And um, I don't want to use this podcast as an outlet for folks to get information that we're trying to give our paying subscribers. So We'll talk about guys like we're talking about Jamal Banks, who we've been reporting on for a couple of days now, but 
we haven't I, I haven't come across any offensive tackles that I know for certain are are there's mutual interest between Notre Dame um and that prospect. Um and when we when I find that out, the first place I will, will be sharing it will not be on the podcast. I'm sorry for those people who don't subscribe, but we want to give those people um reasons to subscribe and also our listeners here that aren't subscribed reasons to subscribe as well. Right. As far as a profile, I'm 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 I would think that they are looking for somebody that's one and done and that's an elite offensive tackle. You've got two guys that are potential starters that were very highly recruited guys. Um, Tosh Baker has waited around a long time for his turn. Emil Wagner, I think, is super talented. You don't have a lot of depth. Um, you, you're you down to Ty Chan and, and um, Charles Jagaza pretty quickly. Again, two really talented guys, but then you're getting down to the freshmen like Garby Lambert, Redshirt freshman Sullivan Absher. So I, I think numbers-wise you could use somebody, but I think a one-and-done, given the talent that's on the roster, I think that's the profile. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What are your thoughts on Jamal Banks? Well, I wanted a scouting report, so that's why I asked Connor. So I cheated on this. What I had, what I had jotted down before we talked to Connor, was tall, slender, twitchy wide receiver. It was interesting in high school. He was a super good pass rusher on a really good high school team. They were in the top five in the country. He's from the Washington D.C. area. I think he'd be a nice addition. Um, but again, I think there's some overlap in what you would get with Bo Collins and uh, Banks. Yeah, I I wonder if there's that redundancy too, and and like what are the what are the those guys' differences from Jaden Thomas? Um, so I think that's the one concern there. Certainly, you need depth, so I don't know that I would be against it. But if you create a situation where Jamal Banks thinks he's coming in with a shot to be Notre Dame's leading receiver, which he was at Wake Forest. And he isn't like that from Connor's telling of who, who he is as a person, it would seem like that would be okay. Um, but I think there just needs to be everyone on the same page of like, okay, we're, we're sort of starting from scratch here, but not everyone's going to be able to be the number one guy uh, in this offense at receiver. Uh, so I think, I think there's gotta be, they have to make sure that if that, if they find that it's a match and they're willing to take him, um, that everyone's sort of okay with the possibility that maybe some of these guys aren't going to be 70 catch players because not everyone can do that. All right, next question is from Sam Morand on the Insider Lounge. Question about the safety position. With Watts most likely coming back, will Notre Dame try to bring back Ramon Henderson or roll with one of the pair of true freshmen from the 2023 class? Yeah, I mean – Given that, I mean, you can always make a U-turn out of the portal, and Houston Griffith did one year, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen with Ramon Henderson, so I think that ship sailed. I think they'll add from the portal. I think this is a priority to get, and had Watts left, I think you might have had two portal safeties because your other options are scholarship guys with freshman eligibility, there were actually three incoming freshmen of those. Bronte Johnson's probably athletically the one that could help you the earliest, and yet he didn't play maybe any safety this year for his team. He was needed other places. You have 
Ben Minnick and Adon Schuler, who are redshirt freshmen or sophomores. I think a guy that could get involved is Luke Talich. He was a freshman walk-on this year, and he played all the games and special teams, and they're really high on him. They're really excited once he bulks up a little bit how his height and his reach will tr- and speed will translate for them. So I think Luke Talich, but I think you want more more of a proven quantity there and then rotate in the younger guys. Yeah, I I certainly think considering a portal safety makes a lot of sense. I, I wonder how much of a priority of it it, it is because there, nothing has really come of it yet. Um, and we've seen Notre Dame pretty aggressively target some of these other positions. Um, now, maybe that's just a product of not liking the safety talent pool yet, or maybe there's going to be some more coming later that they're waiting on. Um, so I think even, even if there isn't a top guy, I think it's worth bringing someone in with some experience if you can. Um, like, like even if, say, you brought in an, Anto- an Antonio Carter again, I think he was still helpful to the room and that you had that option um it would be helpful again next year um he's i don't expect him back but i think if that's someone someone like that um would make sense now maybe ramon henderson ends up being that guy i don't necessarily know that will be the case but um there's going to be there's going to be a need for those freshmen to develop quickly and be in a position to play next year um because even even if they're not a starter. Notre Dame likes to play a third safety um, a decent amount from time to time. So maybe they end up just playing an extra cornerback because they like the depth there better. But um, I think they're, they need to get those guys ready to play next season. All right. Uh, speaking of the safeties at Drew Brennan, 77 asked, will Luke Talich get on scholarship here soon? I would be surprised if it doesn't happen. Right. Um, I think he would have in this day of NIL and transferring and, so forth i think he would have a scholarship elsewhere if he wanted it and they're very high on him and he played 13 games so yeah i think it'll happen yeah i think so too i think you got to make sure that all the numbers go through the right way um but yeah i would imagine that he ends up being um the next in line to get get put on scholarship out from the walk-on category and maybe and and i i think that that calculus might have changed a little bit because Jordan Faison had to be put on scholarship this year. Maybe the Talich thing would have already happened, um, but I think they got to figure out the numbers and make sure everything's in order to to make that commitment to him. All right, next question is from LDL Go Irish on the Inside Lounge. Could next year's defense be better than this year? Why or why not? If Mills comes back, it almost certainly would be a better defense. You think about. Riley Mills, all the Vipers that they have, and they're going to be better next year. You know, R.J. Oban, if they can get some answers at the field end to go with him. And then you look at the linebacker level, you have that leader in Jack Kaiser and all this wonderful young talent around him. And then if you can get a pretty good portal safety to go with a unanimous All-American and Xavier Watts, you have cornerback talent that's high end and deep yeah i think it could be a better defense yeah i mean it's it's hard to say that it would for certain just because this defense was so good right to be able to match it statistically would be a tall task but 
it certainly has the potential to do that. I think Notre Dame's pass rush can improve still. And I think there's room for more plays to be made at the linebacker level. So um, even if Xavier Watts returns, is he going to be able to make as many interceptions? Probably not. Um, does that even out somewhere else with some other guys? Can you get the, the those turnovers um, more as a group than <laughs> from an individual? Um, but I, I do think there's definitely the potential for, for Notre Dame to be even better, especially if the pass rush improves. And, and one thing about RJ, he had more sacks with five than anybody on Notre Dame's team this year. Right. Even though he didn't have a lot of tackles, he did have five sacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Notre Dame didn't have that go-to like pass rusher necessarily. I don't think there was any one guy that was the most intimidating factor out there now i don't know if rj Oben could be that but um if you do have a guy like that that certainly can um change the way defense or offenses have to plan for your defense because you you have to account for those guys notre dame i think did a pretty good job generating pass rushes the collective but i don't know that they did that well consistently on an individual basis and certainly as it really relates to like turning those into sacks especially from a defensive line all right next question is from ron at our Ron, bunch of numbers. Now that Jack Kaiser has decided to play another year, who do you see as the starting linebackers at this point? Uh, I played with some different combinations here. Um, I think you could see it. I, I'm I'm curious where Kaiser ends up. I don't think he will be the rover. I think he's coming back to be an inside linebacker. So we, would he be the middle linebacker? or the weak side linebacker. So you could have Sneed, Kaiser, Osbury. You could have Bowen, Kaiser, Sneed. You could have Viliamu, Asa, and Ziegler competing. I think those are the pool of linebackers. And so those are the people that I think are going to be the the starting linebackers are going to come out of that group. Uh, Yeah, I, uh, you didn't name many guys that aren't on the roster as in that group, but well, uh, Zenter, <laughs> Cahoon, Rezac, but yeah, I didn't, and I don't think that they will go get a portal guy either with no. Kaiser coming back. No, and I and I think as I mentioned, I don't know if it was on Football Never Sleeps or a podcast that I didn't love the idea of having to sort of import experience at the linebacker level because you want experience in this defense as well. Um, and so Jack Kaiser's return, I think makes that a lot easier to, especially to bring some younger guys along with him. Uh, so if I had to predict right now, I would say Jack Kaiser at weak side linebacker, Drake Bowen at middle linebacker and Jalen Sneed at Rover. Um, but like you said, there's, there are other options at those, at those positions that I, I could very well see um, becoming starters as well. Next question is from Olivier Doust at Ali Doust. What, with this team, early enrollees and true freshmen, give me as of today your O line and front seven for next year. Okay, at this moment, with no new portal guys potentially being added, I would go right tackle Wagner, right guard Spindler, center Coogan, left guard Shrouth, left tackle Baker. And then I'll let you do yours, and then we'll do the front seven. Okay, I went with left tackle Wagner, left guard Shrouth, center Craig, right guard Spindler, and Baker, right tackle. Okay. 
Um, so I, I just like Wagner on the left side more than I like Baker on the left side. So that's why I've been consistent with that. I could, I could see that. I could I, see that. And I, I really don't know what's going to happen with the Craig, Shrouth, Coogan, Spindler combination. Like, right. Only three of those guys can start. Um, and I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. So I, I went right. with Shrouth there, but um, it's I don't I'm, think it's a – I've liked Craig in the games he's played. I'm right. not writing him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I've I've had long been an advocate of of Coogan doing that going into next season, but that was before I saw Ashton Craig play. And so I was like, well, I think you got a pretty good thing going there. So I don't know that I want to mess with that, but um it does give me some pause that pretty much for the most part throughout the season, Joe Rudolph stuck with Coogan and Spindler over Shrouth and only really played Shrouth when Spindler got hurt. So can he unseat one of those guys? We think, I mean, I think his progression should allow for that to happen, but does, does Rudolph trust those other guys more than he trusts Strouth? I don't, I don't have an answer for that. All right. What about your front seven? Okay. So I'm going with one surprise on the defensive line, and this is not to project Jordan Botello out the door, but I'm putting Josh Burnham as a starting Viper Riley Mills, since he's still on the roster as of now, right. Howard Cross, and then R.J. Oban, and the linebackers. This is why I didn't put a finer point because I knew this question was coming. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, and this is if Al Golden is the defensive coordinator and the scheme is staying the same. I'm putting Drake Bowen at middle linebacker, Kaiser at weak side linebacker, and Snead as the rover. All right, yeah, and the, those were the, that was the linebacker combination I said for the last answer, so I would stick with that, and I would I would go with chalk up front. I would have Batello at Viper, Mills at defensive tackle, Howard Cross at nose tackle. Those guys staying in their starting roles, and then RJ Oban becoming the the new starter at the field defensive end. All right, next question is from Mac Corona, Mac underscore Corona. What what's the latest news on the strength and conditioning coach search, and how big of a role does the job play in recruiting and the overall culture of the team? Well, it's progressing well that Marcus has caught cast a wide net, that they're trying to interview people and have somebody in place so that they're ready to go full speed when winter conditioning starts. And and I think they will get that done. In terms of uh, what kind of impact, it's incredibly huge. And it's not just, well, we're stronger and we're faster. It's Injury prevention, it's recovery, it's sports science, it's leadership, it's locker room culture. When when Brian Kelly had the big assistant coaching purge after the 2016 season, I spent a day with him and we spent a lot of time in Matt Bayless's world that day. And I saw what a huge impact that was, including Brian Kelly asking Matt Bayless permission for things. But just the whole... They had this board, uh, are you starving? Are you satisfied? Uh, I can't remember what the third category was, but they everything was competitive. The uh, They call them the SWAT teams. They're accountability teams in the offseason, and they build camaraderie and leadership and accountability. And it's for stuff not just in the weight room. It's class. It's everything. And, and then... Matt Bayless was a guy everybody could go to. On the flip side of that, uh, Coach Longo, who was let go, uh, you know, I talked to some former players. I said, do you feel like this change needed to be made? And they go, yeah, there were guys that were skipping out 
on doing their lifting and they were getting away with it. And so, yes, it's, it's huge. And a, and a big reason why Notre Dame had those Renaissance seasons under Brian Kelly was because of Matt Bayless. Yeah. I mean, I think I certainly that strength and conditioning plays a crucial role in the program. I think sometimes change can be a good thing. Like, Maybe it can become stale, like you talked about with with the transition uh, to Matt Bayless. Um, and so I, would Notre Dame be better off with Matt Bayless rather than whoever comes next? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know that I can say that with any, uh, with it, with any certainty. Um, but it does matter to guys. Like, I think pro- I think it's pretty, probably pretty easy to sell to recruits. Like, if you bring in someone new, like, hey, trust us, we're going to get this figured out. I think if you're someone like Jack Kaiser or a guy that's returning to the program, like making that NFL decision, you probably want to have a good sense of what that is because your window of like of this needed improvement that you need to make in terms of putting yourself in a better position for the NFL the following season may that 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 would play a bigger role in your decision. Um, so I mean. I think I think you can make your strength and conditioning program and coach seem great. I think the best way to probably pinpoint that is just like guys that have developed and turned into NFL players. And so even if it's not like thanks to Matt Bayless that Xavier Watts became what he was, I think you could sort of point to the culture within your program that is uh that has allowed that to happen. Um and I think the strength and conditioning coach has a lot to do with that culture, but um I think as Marcus Freeman described it uh, like the culture wasn't Matt Bayless's, right? It was it was the football program's culture. Bayless played a large role in implementing it and and making sure it thrived, um, and and pushed through adversity and stuff like that. But Marcus Freeman has a role in that. Uh, the rest of the coaching staff, the re- rest of the strength and conditioning staff has a role in that, and so um, it can certainly be very detrimental if you don't have the right guy in that job. Um, but it it's not like the sole responsibility of that person to make sure that that culture sort of emanates throughout the program. Next question is from at Dan Quinlan. Since Notre Dame can't play in a conference championship game, would it ever push for a 13th regular season game? Their minimum to make a 12 team playoff seems to be 10 wins. So this keeps a 10 and three Notre Dame team in contention with three losses. Likelihood of this happening disadvantages. Thanks. There's no Avenue for them to get a 13th game. Uh, unless they played Hawaii on the road. I mean, that's the only exemption game, and you'd have to do that every year. And I think the wear and tear of going over all those time zones and all that travel wouldn't make up for it, nor would it give you any strength of schedule. It's not, uh, you know, a a win over Hawaii isn't going to convince anybody. The other thing is you're competing against a lot of teams that only are going to play 12 games. Not everybody's going to be in a conference championship that makes the playoff. I don't, you know, the losses count too. You know, right. a 10 and three team is different than a 10 and two team. So, likely of, of it happening, zero advantages, zero disadvantages, lots because it doesn't get you anything. Yeah. And you, there's a like 12 game is the maximum by rule. Like that's an NCAA rule. It's not like an Notre Dame choice. 
Um, so that's what you're indicating there with the, the 13 can be possible for they make an exemption for teams that schedule Hawaii. Um, but so I, I guess if you wanted to schedule Hawaii every year, um, and is it only when you go out to Hawaii, right? Or yeah, when, it's yeah. not when they come here, <laughs> so, it's so, when you go out there. Um, so I mean, so let's pretend that the rule changed and you could do a 13th game. I, don't, I still don't think Notre Dame would be interested in it. I, I think. One, it's hard to schedule that many games as a, as an independent, at least games that matter. Like maybe you could add another uh, group of five team on your schedule, or or um, even an FCS team. But I don't think that's what you're you're looking for. Um, so the 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 field is wide, or the opportunities have widened for Notre Dame to get in a playoff right now. Like in the previous system, Notre Dame pretty much had to go undefeated to make it into a fourteen playoff. Like it wasn't there there were rare exceptions where one team, one lost Notre Dame team would, would get into the playoff. Um, and so if, if 10 and two puts you in play now, that's, that's an increase in, in, in odds in getting into the playoff. So, um, and then like, if you get, if you're able to schedule 13th game, when do you, when do you play it? Do you, do you, you got to play it in November, December, right? Or you, you're not, you're not going to get rid of a bye week Like, and it's not easy to sell out like Notre Dame home games at that point of year. So I just don't see, um, in the hypothetical world where this was possible, there being a really significant advantage um, for Notre Dame to do it. Next question is from SJB 75 on the insider lounge, Bo Collins and Riley Leonard both haven't graduated at the end of this semester. Is the Notre Dame administration loosening their standards for the football team, accepting undergraduate transfers? When I asked Marcus that question a couple weeks ago, he felt, he was very effusive and he felt like there was some progress being made without going into specifics about it. When you look at those two examples, it certainly appears that way. Now this could be a litmus test or a start of a trend. Um, we'll have to do a little bit more asking about that. Uh, but I do think it's interesting because Riley Leonard, you could maybe equate a little bit to the Brandon Joseph. Bo Collins, you really can't. It's not a similar situation, but we need to find out what their individual situations are. But there's been, I mean, those would have been hard no's in some other cycles. Yeah, I mean, the, the sample size is still too, too, too small to make like sweeping judgments on this is a giant change in direction. Right. Um, the, transfers are always going to be handled on an individual basis, right? I mean, that that's that hasn't changed. Um, it's not like we're just going to just to take everyone who's a junior. Come on in. Like, they're always going to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, so that's still going to be the same um, regardless of the policy moving forward. Um, my understanding is that Riley Leonard and, and Bo Collins are good students, I'm, and certainly Duke, I would imagine the Duke and Clemson class coursework that those guys have taken played a role in their ability to make this happen. Um, so I, I wouldn't, it's not going to, we're, we're a long way from saying, okay, all, all juniors are back on the table for Notre Dame. So I, I think um, progress here is more incremental um, and gradual than, than sort of uh, something that I would say like a, a wide loosening of, of Notre Dame standards. But it, but it is. I still think it's significant that they're even, even this small of a sample size sure. because one of the stumbling blocks was the concept that somebody could come to Notre Dame 
and get a degree without doing most of the hours at Notre Dame. Now, maybe they have an arrangement where they get the degree from their prior school. They right. come and take classes at Notre Dame. They say, okay, and then you get a Clemson or a or Duke degree. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. we don't know, and I think that that is a that would be a significant. Right. I mean that that would make sense. Like Riley Leonard, regardless, is probably closer to a a Duke degree than he would be a Notre Dame degree, unless there was a more significant like accepting of credits. And I don't think that's the case, but I don't know that. I don't have the answers. That's what I would like to learn more about. Is Notre Dame just maybe more willing to have guys that. Maybe they're not going to come here and graduate as Notre Dame graduates. They're going to be able to here take some courses and and still be college graduates, and they're okay with that. I don't know. The the one thing that I can remember the conversation mm-hmm. I had with Brandon Joseph, and he was a couple of cycles ago, was he said that because of the pickiness and what transferred and what didn't, even from Northwestern, he said it, if he came out, which he did, and go to the NFL – it would be easier for him to go back to Northwestern to get his degree than finish up at Notre Dame and get a Notre Dame degree. That's what he told me. All right. Next question is from ND on the road on the inside lounge. What is the worst question that you have heard asked by a reporter, either to a coach or a player at a press conference? Follow-up question. Have either of you asked a question at a press conference and then thought that maybe you shouldn't have asked that question once it was asked? I'm going to have to lean on Tyler a little bit about the worst question asked to a coach. And maybe it was just the funniest. I'm sure there are worst. I couldn't think off the top of my head because I try to blot it out of my mind, especially if it's my own question. Um, wh- What was Brian Kelly asked? Was he asked about being playing in Mexico after a game? Yeah, that was one of the first one that came to mind. It was um, a, a reporter asking about, yeah, playing – the possibility or want to play a game in Mexico. And it was like after a game, it would, I think it was related to Notre Dame playing in Cowboy Stadium, AT&T Stadium. And I think like that same week, there was going to be some sort of Mexican football exhibition or something. And so it was just, a, it, it, one, it's just, it maybe wasn't the wrong, a bad question, but it was the wrong place for the question. And then like, it was sort of like, I think probably a little bit of a blindside. Brian Kelly certainly didn't seem like he was prepared for it. He just yeah. said sure at the end of it. Like he yeah. didn't he didn't know what to do um with that question. So I, a lot of times it's like the time and place that that I think can be improved rather than just the question. I think wording of question is I think is always important. One one that came to mind to me, and I found the transcript of it, um, <laughs> that was pretty bad. Um, was after Notre Dame lost to Alabama in the college football playoff. And here's the question and answer. So the the <clears throat> Media member said, uh, sorry for the tough loss down there tonight. What does Alabama, their wide receiver, Smith, what does he look like up close and personal? He looks like one of those that's going to be playing Sunday afternoons or anytime during the NFL. And so Jeremiah Usakoromoa responded, what does he look like up close? And then the, the guy responds, yeah, in person. You see him in person because we've only seen him on video and film and all that stuff. What does he look like up close? And then Sean Crawford, funny, funny response. I think he's 6'1", 175. <laughs> and then the 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 media member said, and he's probably going to be playing on Sundays, right? And Sean Crawford said, I think so. So that was a very awkward and, and bad question and answer session um, that, that came to mind. Um, there were a lot of bad ones on the old Sunday Brian Kelly teleconference. Yeah, yeah. Um, without going into great detail, the worst one I ever heard 
asked a player. So Robert Hughes's brother, Robert Hughes was a running back during the Charlie Weiss and Brian Kelly era. And Robert's brother got murdered. And it, I don't think it's ever been solved. And Robert decided, you know what, I'm going to come in and I'm going to talk to the media and uh, you guys can ask me about it and then we need to move on. And that was kind of the ground rules. And so everybody asked him about it. And then this one other guy decided to interview somebody else first. He comes running over. He goes, so what does it feel like your brother being dead? That was that was the worst. I thought Robert was going to jump out of the chair and do something really bad. Yeah, yeah I, bad. I I just looked at him and I go, you don't I never coached somebody and said I said, Robert, you don't have to answer that. Yeah. I thought it was awful taste and then i've got a good one about my worst question ever yeah i don't i haven't come up i couldn't think of one specific to me and that's not to say i haven't asked bad questions i just don't like i mean i, I rarely even write i don't really write my questions down so it's not like i would have like a record to go back and look at them i think in general what i don't like so i try to use this to inform the questions that i ask is i i don't like questions that are just statements like you just share your opinion and then just ask them. You're just basically asking them to follow up on it. And then I also think wording matters. And I, I, I've only learned that through experience. Like some coaches, especially if you like, maybe you put a, an opinion to start the question. Like you say, like you guys really stunk in the running game today. Why did the running game stink? Um, or what would I don't even game? like that when we get that on. The <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think sometimes the, a coach will get stuck on the opinion that you said and maybe not even follow, listen to the actual question you asked. Bobby Knight was like that. There's no way you're getting, I I try to be, I try to be very specific. And there was one, I think it was during, it was during COVID. I know it was during COVID and we had to like submit them written. It was a very odd setup that didn't last very long. And like my very like, and so like I thought about the way I worded it when I sent it in and I don't remember what the game was, and I don't, and I don't even remember exactly what the, who, what it was about, but it was like, the question was something like to, to what do you, to what do you, uh, how did I word it? It was like, to what do you account for the lack of success in the passing game or something like that? It was something trying to just like not put any blame on anyone. Just like, I just wanted to know what his answer looked like, what he, how he described it. And, and he did not, I, that was Brian, that was Brian Kelly at the time. And he was not ha- having that and did not, <laughs> did not go for that. So Wording definitely matters. Um, another thing I found early in my career is that, like, if I'm trying to tweet everything that is being said at a press conference, there's a good chance that I'm not going to hear one of the questions that's asked. So I don't like doing that because I want to be, like, locked in and so make sure that anything I asked hasn't already been asked because then I'm wasting everyone's time, not just the coaches, if I'm asking something that's already being asked. So I, I try to be very attentive at press conferences rather than sort of updating people what what is being said. Right. I don't do it either because I think I'm being disrespectful if they're answering my question. I'm looking at my phone mm-hmm. and trying to tweet that out. So I don't do that. I try to treat them with respect. But OK, I got to set this one up because this is the worst question that I ever ask. Um, so Bill Belinsky and I were covering an IU basketball game or IU football game down in Bloomington, which is about four hours from where we are. And we were up pretty late. And then you know how you try to get, well, I can get three hours sleep. Well, I can get still two. 
what ended up being about 45 minutes. So we're driving up to Chicago for the Big Ten tip-off media conference with all the coaches except for Bobby Knight. And Michigan State's coach at the time was Judd Heathcote. And he's standing up there and he gives a spiel and he takes some questions. And again, I had had 45 minutes of sleep, not enough caffeine. So I raised my hand, they call on me and I said, the local kid from North Judson High School, Kirk Manns, how do you feel like Kirk Manns is going to fit in with you this year? And John looks at me and he had seen me around for a while and he goes, well, exactly how I felt five minutes ago when I was asked it. He goes, but I'll repeat it for you. And he did. And he was very gracious and he didn't make me feel like an idiot. And I'll be forever grateful. I went up to him and thanked him afterwards. And I said, I am so undercaffeinated for today, but thank you for being so kind. And I'll never forget that. But he he made me feel great. He made it feel like he was part of the joke. And it was awful because I asked a question somebody else already asked. All right. And our last question is from Maria Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie, who is not afraid to ask his questions and ask mostly good ones. Who are you both picking to win the national championship? I am picking the team that I have been voting number one for most of the year. I am picking Washington to beat Alabama in the championship game. I, I'm going with Washington as well. I don't really feel confident about anyone necessarily. I feel right. like every, everyone has pretty significant flaws. I, I, I think if you asked me like which game is more likely to have the champion of the semifinal games, I probably would go with the Washington, Texas game as odd as that may sound. I I don't like, I don't know that Michigan's going to be able to have a ton of offensive success. I think the Zach Zinter injury is going to hurt them um, against teams that can play good defense and then also score maybe better than, well, certainly better than Iowa can score against Michigan. Um, I, I don't know what to think about Alabama. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Alabama won, but, like, is Alabama dominant? I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty wide-open college football playoff, and I'm gonna, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, but if I had to pick someone, I would pick Washington as well. I was I was shocked that they were, like, considered such great underdogs against Oregon in the, in the Pac-12 championship. Washington's obvious flaw is their defense isn't very good. Um, so it wouldn't be a shock if they – messed up there but, but I they feel like seem they can... to come up with these moments that's what's weird about them yeah there, there's just something like intangible that you can't really sort of put a finger on I, I, and i also think washington probably should have been the one seed in my opinion which like like eric said he's been voting him number one um so that's why i'm going with washington as well all right that is it for today's episode of the inside indie sports podcast if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share a podcast feed with someone who won your bowl pool last year. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com, so please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's NDPOD. Um, football Never Sleeps returns next week. We're continuing to do our weekly schedule, and we'll have a podcast next week. Certainly, once we get to Christmas week, we won't do Football Never Sleeps on Christmas. We'll have to figure out our schedule of bowl week but um well so we'll make some adjustments there but we'll be back football um, never sleeps but it does celebrate christmas <laughs> football does celebrate christmas um and, and we do too uh, i'm not traveling on christmas to get down to the sun bowl so uh we, we appreciate you guys tuning in you know there's 
going to be still some more action to cover. And like Eric mentioned earlier, there's we're going to have some access to Marcus Freeman this coming weekend and a little bit of practice access next weekend or next week. Uh, so so check that out and stick with us on InsideIndieSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. Mm-hmm.